Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look how to get the best out of your savings and investments. In this episode, I'm joined by friends of the pod, Sam Benstead, to run through five fund trends that have been playing out lately, which will hopefully provide some food for thought for you. So let's get cracking, Sam. So the first trend, which it's not a completely new trend, but it has become more prominent over the past year to 18 months, is that investors are favouring income strategies over growth strategies. Sam, could you talk us through the main reasons why income is being preferred? Sure. So we started noticing this a couple of years ago, didn't we? And for me, there are two reasons why income has become more important for investors. The first one is, I think, the cost of living crisis. So life is getting more expensive. Salaries aren't really keeping up with inflation. And so if you can use your investments to actually gain more of an income and supplement what you earn, or in retirement, you want to use it to get more of your investment portfolio back into your bank account, then actually using income investments is a very useful thing to do. The other reason I think income has become more popular, and this is for one part of the market in particular, is that as interest rates have risen, so have yields on bonds. So a couple of years ago, you basically got paid nothing. And actually, you you were losing money in, in real terms if you invested in the gilt market, for example. If you invested in corporate bonds, you were just getting a couple of percent. It wasn't really worth your while to invest in the bond market for income. But that's all changed. So you can get about 5% from the gilt market now across a range of maturities. If you want to go into the corporate bond market, then about 6.5%. So more income on offer has made income more attractive to investors. And in terms of funds and investment trusts, when we look at our sort of top 10 most popular funds and investment trusts um, with Interact Investor customers, it is equities that are being favoured over bonds, but it's particularly with investment trusts. We don't really see in our most popular funds income being up there, but with investment trusts, we do see a lot of income paying trusts in the top 10 most bought trusts each month. Now, of course, investment trusts, they have a particular attraction for investors who want a regular cash flow because they don't have to distribute all of the income generated by their assets every year. They can hold back up to 15% a year, which means they can build up a rainy day reserve to bolster dividend payouts in leaner years. Whereas in contrast, open-ended funds, they have to return to investors all of the income that's generated each year. Comparing and contrasting the top 10 most bought investment trusts this year to the 23rd of October, which is the day that we're doing this recording, with the previous year. And there are a number of investment trusts with high yields that are in the top 10 this year that weren't in 2022. So a couple of examples, Merchants Trust, so UK equity income strategy, its current yield is 5.7%. That's in the top 10. So is the Renewables Infrastructure Group which has a yield of 7%. And then, and I had to double-check the yield on this trust because I couldn't believe how high it was. Henderson Far East Income, that's in the top 10 most bought investment trusts this year. And its dividend yield is currently 11.6%. I think the thing to bear in mind, yes, higher yields, they offer investors the prospect of higher income today. And that's arguably even more attractive at the moment given how high inflation is. But with high yields, do bear in mind there's no guarantees that this will result in market-beating returns from a total return perspective when both capital 
and income are combined. As well as the Renewables Infrastructure Group, another alternative income trust that is popular with our customers is um, Greencoat UK Wind. So we're going to discuss later on this podcast why the vast majority of alternative income investment trusts are generally out of favour with investors. But in terms of our customers, um, there's Renewables Infrastructure Group and Greencoat UK Wind are in the top 10 most bought investment trusts year to date. Greencoat UK Wind has a yield of 6.7%. A key attraction, which it has delivered upon over the past 10 years since launch, is that it aims for RPI inflation dividend increases every year. And over the summer, I interviewed its fund manager, Stephen Lilly. Do check out that full interview on Interact Investor's YouTube channel. In that interview, he described that dividend target as being stable and safe. He mentioned that, you know, that, that this investment trust it has some exposure to the power price. But he, he made the point that even if the power price over the next five years was zero, he said the dividend could still be paid. The second trend that we've been seeing this year, which is an extension of the income trend that we've just been discussing, is that money market funds have become more popular, particularly the Royal London short-term money market fund. Sam, why is this area capturing investors' attention? It's really interesting, Kyle, because... Before rates went up, I don't think many people would have been investing in money market funds. And they were more the reserve of large investors with lots of cash that they needed to park and um, keep in liquid assets. But now we see Royal London Money Market Fund in particular as one of the most popular investments on the platform. So what are money market funds? Well, they mainly invest in short-term bonds set to mature in a month, in two months. So safe bonds maturing soon that are paying them an income. And they do this to try and replicate a cash-like offering for investors. So Royal London Money Market Fund has about $6 billion in assets at the moment. So it's, it's, you know, it's a very big fund. It charges 0.1% and currently yields 5.25%. And in that portfolio, you've got lots of bonds, you've got lots of gilts, and the average time that these fixed income assets have to mature is 83 days. So in the industry, you say this is a low duration investment. It's not going to be that sensitive to interest rates, which is why you get quite a steady price movement for money market funds. You don't see the big price swings that you get from bond market funds. Another important thing for retail investors owning money market funds is that you can keep them in your ISA or your pension account. So if you have your money with a bank account outside of these wrappers, then you're going to be subject to some income tax, possibly on your savings income. So actually parking the cash inside of your tax-free wrapper is really important for your for your total returns. But they're not without risk. There's no FSCS protection on them. So the government covers you for £85,000 if your money is lost in a bank account. If the bank fails, then you can get your money back as long as it's below that amount. There's no such protection in money market funds. And there have also been some warnings from big institutions. So the Bank of England actually issued a bit of a warning a couple of weeks ago in one of its um, physical stability reports. And it's actually calling for an improvement in liquidity in money market funds. So it wants them to have more liquid assets or assets that it can sell very quickly in case there is a run on the sector. So that might happen if we see a big crash in stock markets and investors are forced to raise some cash that goes straight away to money market funds. And there's a risk that everybody taking their money out of these funds, which are invested in bonds, they're not in the bank accounts, um, could lead to some issues for the sector. So it's a great way of getting income, but actually it's not quite the same as having money in a bank account or owning a gilt. I think those concerns from the Bank of England 
they follow on for the fact of how popular money market funds now are. If there wasn't so much money going into them, then I don't think there would be those warnings being made at the moment about those potential liquidity risks. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see going forward whether any changes are made, because as you mentioned, Sam, these funds, they, they invest in very short, dated bonds that are expiring every couple of months, really. So, you know, in theory, a lot of money is going back into the fund when those bonds mature. But, you know, it'd be interesting to see going forward whether they have higher cash positions in response to these concerns from the Bank of England. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think investors should be worried. If you own a money market fund, don't panic. It's Your, your money's in, in a good place and I, I wouldn't worry about it at the moment. But I think it's good to see that the Bank of England and the FCA have also done some work into this. They are watching the sector because they realise how important it's become. So for the next trend, we're going to move from one end of the risk spectrum to the other. So we're going to move on from money market funds to focus on India. So we've seen some India specialist funds and investment trusts become more popular of late. So in our top 10 most bought funds, we saw Jupiter India enter in September. And for the same month, we saw India Capital Growth enter the top 10 most bought investment trusts. Now, of course, for long-term investors, India has plenty of attractions as an investment destination. It's got a really young population with around a quarter of the world's under 25s living there. And that younger population, it's part of an expanding middle class, which in the years and decades to come is expected to fuel economic growth. But the key reason why we've seen increasing demand for India lately is the fact that its stock market has been performing well. It's particularly performed well over the past six months. And it's also been the best performing index post-COVID, pipping the Nasdaq index, which has been the second best performing stock market since then. While India is in favour, its peer China is completely out of favour. There are various reasons why. That's the case, with one of the main reasons due to the fact that China's policymakers have, over the past couple of years, introduced some regulation and reform into a number of its industries, which has hurt profits and also sentiment towards those industries, namely the technology and education sectors. And this has been a big concern for investors and also for managers. Um, a number of them have reduced exposure to China and some have completely sold out to China because they're concerned about the prospect of further regulatory crackdowns could stifle the growth of successful companies. Sam, what are your thoughts on China? Is it an area that you think will continue to be out of favour? I think it's a very interesting investment area and you can't ignore it given the size of the population, given the, the strong economic growth, it's still growing at 5% a year. So China isn't over. But as you said, Carl, the big thing here is politics. There's this idea that the state, the, the CCP, the China Communist Party, is in charge of the private sector and private companies have to conform to what it wants. And if you own shares there, that means companies aren't working for you. They're not working for profits, not working to return dividends to you. They're working for the state. 
And if what they do is in contrast to what the state wants, then they're going to suffer and the share prices are going to crash. And ultimately, what the politics does is out of your control as an investor, which I think has scared a lot of fund managers because they like to be in control. They like to know how companies are going to perform. They like to have very precise models on economic growth and politics and dividends. And there's just so much uncertainty in China that it is scaring a lot of people off. If you'd been invested there recently, you wouldn't have done very well. And there's a good chance you might have sold, actually. This is probably why we've seen a lot of these China funds and trusts actually not be too popular on the platform recently. So as you're looking at some of the data, over five years, the MSCI China index is down 8%. Over three years, it's down 40%. But looking back over 10 years, you've made money. So 45% over 10 years if you've held on. So there's a lot to unpack in China. And I think if you're going to invest there, you almost have to take it as a separate market entirely, which is going to be quite uncorrelated from the rest of the world. The politics is so important. It's such a big economy that it could do very well when global shares are performing poorly. So that happened at the start of COVID. And it could do very poorly when global shares are performing well. And as with any single country emerging market, whether that be India or China, investors have to bear in mind that you know this is an adventurous part of the portfolio if you invest in either or both of those countries. So therefore, you know, you've got to sort of limit your exposure. They're not core holdings, they are satellite holdings to potentially and hopefully add some spice to your overall returns. We're now going to move on to the third trend that we've been spotting, which is the fact that in terms of funds, it is passive strategies that have been dominating the most bought list. And overall, passive investors are favouring sort of plain vanilla exposure to developed markets. So we often see a lot of global index funds in the top 10 holdings. And that also extends to exchange trader funds, so ETFs. Just to give a couple of examples, in the top 10 most popular ETFs in September, we have the likes of Vanguard, FTSE or World ETF, also iShares Core, MSCI World ETF. And that just reflects that, you know, a lot of investors, they just want to gain a lot of diversification through having one of these ETFs or maybe a couple of them as core holdings. Of course, the performance of US tech this year with the Magnificent Seven have dominated the US stock market and there'll be plenty of exposure in those global ETFs to US tech companies due to their size. And we also see with exchange trader funds and index funds, there's a lot of investors want to have exposure to the US stock market passively. So in terms of the top 10 most bought ETFs, regularly have Vanguard S&P 500 ETF as the number one each month, don't we, Sam? We do. And I think there's a few reasons behind the rise of passive investment. Like you said, there's this trend that's lasted for more than a decade of, of the biggest US shares year after year being being the best performers. And people thought this would change with the with the rise in interest rates and the focus on on dividends and, and profits today rather than profits tomorrow. But it hasn't changed at all. And actually, if you look at companies like NVIDIA and Facebook and Apple, these are all the top performers this year, despite high interest rates. So owning passive funds gives you exposure to those, which has basically meant you've beaten most active fund managers just by owning the market and paying almost nothing in fees. The other reason I think passive has become more popular is that markets have been so volatile and there's always uncertainty, but it feels like over the past three, four years with COVID, with conflict in Europe, in the Middle East, with inflation and interest rates, 
a lot of investors have probably been caught out by these changes and have perhaps realized that they would have just done better by owning the markets. And all this uncertainty isn't going away. So by going to passive, you're accepting that you don't know more than the market. You're accepting that you don't need an active fund manager to try and beat the market. And you're saying, actually, it's okay. I'll own the market. It's done well in the past. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But if I just take the market return, then I'll be happy. And that's what they're doing. I completely agree. I think given there's plenty of uncertainty, investors are unsure about where to put their money. So as you say, Sam, they're accepting I'll invest in a global index or ETF or a US index fund or an ETF, and I'll have that exposure, which, as you mentioned, you know, if you take a five-year view, they've done very well. So, you know, as a result, the broad exposure the passive funds are offering is being favoured rather than investors targeting more focused active fund exposure. I think with some of the index funds and ETFs, you've got to bear in mind that they may be too concentrated for your risk appetite. So just to give a couple of examples, in the top 10 most popular investment funds in September, there's LNG Global 100 Index Trust. So this has just over 40% of its assets in five US tech stocks, which are Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and NVIDIA. And then there's also in that top 10, Legal and General Global Technology Index. This has even higher concentration as it's got just over 50% in four US tech stocks. So it's got Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, and NVIDIA. Its exposure to Apple is 18.1%. And for Microsoft, it's 16.6%. So if either of those two companies or both of them disappoint then that index fund is not going to do very well. But then at the other side of the coin, if those stocks continue to do well, then it's going to benefit that index fund. And in particular, if the big mega cap tech companies do well, then it will continue to be in a sweet spot of performance. Interestingly, that legal and general global technology index fund, it doesn't have Amazon in its top 10. So I'm assuming it doesn't have an exposure to that at all, um, which again, I thought was interesting. It didn't have that. It is interesting. And I think that fund, which is actually one that I own and has done well for me, doesn't own Amazon and doesn't own Tesla because they're not classified as, as technology stocks according to that index. So I think they're more, um, I think they're in the consumer discretionary basket, which is, it's hurt the fund because Tesla's been a top performer. But actually, if you look at the top 10, they're, they're concentrated in perhaps higher quality, more profitable businesses than Amazon and Tesla. So that doesn't make me too worried, actually. Ah, uh, that explains it then. So so with that one, you're happy with, you know, to take the extra sort of risk given how concentrated it is? I think it's okay given how successful Apple and Microsoft are as businesses. I think if you had to own two companies forever, today you'd probably pick those two names given how embedded they are in our lives and also how much they spend on research and development and also how good they are to shareholders. So they're constantly buying back their own shares and they pay good dividends as well. So it is concentrated, but I'd rather be concentrated in those two shares than perhaps any other in the world. And the final trends that we're going to discuss is that investment trusts are out of favour. And due to this, the average investment trust company is trading on a discount in the mid-teens at the moment. Now, there's a number of reasons why investment trusts are out of favour, which we covered off in episode 54 
with Nick Greenwood, who is a specialist in the field of investing in investment trusts that are trading on big discounts. But for me, the key reason is that, you know, investment trusts, the discounts have been widening, which reflect the fact that there's more sellers than buyers in response to those interest rate rises that have been taking place since the end of 2021. So those interest rate rises, they've triggered a repricing of risk assets due to the fact that, as Sam mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, you can now, for the first time in more than a decade, obtain a decent level of income on lower risk assets, namely cash and bonds. And given that you can get around 4.5% to 5% on those assets, there's less appeal in trying to obtain bigger returns for greater risk, which has really harmed the whole investment trust sector. But in particular, Sam, alternative investment trusts, they're really out of favour at the moment, aren't they? They are. And that's because this world of ZERP, which is an acronym we see a lot at the moment, so the end of zero interest rate policy, has really affected the prospects for these trusts. So as when interest rates were zero and falling, there was a rush for new sources of income because you couldn't get anything from the bond market. So it led to things like song royalty trusts, um, lots more renewable energy, infrastructure, warehouses, property trusts linked to social housing. So lots of innovative ideas to try and provide investors with an income in an age where there was no income available from the bond market. As rates have gone up, this has caused a lot of problems for these trusts. So like Kyle said, there's now an opportunity cost to owning these types of trusts. So you're better off in the bond market in many cases, and you're better off with that secure income. But just the simplicity of the bond market compared to trying to collect an income from song royalties has, has been really one of the big drivers of money moving away from alternatives and into the bond market. But there have also been some questions about the actual business models of these alternative income trusts. So Home REIT uh, was the one in the news recently, and there have been allegations of fraud. And um, actually, shares in the trust are suspended at the moment. You can't trade them. Uh, another one making headlines is Hypnosis Songs Fund. So that's just scrapped um, part of its dividend because when it did the calculations for how much royalty income it earned over the past couple of years, it actually realized that it didn't earn as much as it thought it was going to earn. So that affected its dividend. And I think it just shows that when you're pushed into complex new areas, often you are asking for trouble. And some of these areas weren't, or they didn't exist before, perhaps for a good reason. So that's something I'd, I'd probably warn everybody to be aware of generally when when investing if something is complicated and you can't quite figure out how a trust is going to earn its income or the management of the trust make lots of exciting sounding promises and it seems too good to fail that could be a warning sign that actually you're dealing with something quite complex and you may not fully understand it and a consequence is that the yields that the income paying alternative investment trusts are offering they've on the whole risen, but whether the gap between what they're offering and what low risk assets are offering from cash and bonds is big enough is questionable. And I think at the moment, the difference between the two is not significant enough to entice people to go for the alternative income asset investment trusts. Yeah, exactly. And what what we've seen is is big discounts. So you might have held these trusts for a while and picked up lots of income, but now the share prices have really suffered because there is this uncertainty. And investors are a bit more skeptical about the NAVs of these trusts as well. They're they're a bit skeptical about what 
the portfolio is actually worth if it was sold. So just to give you some of the discounts available in these income-focused vehicles, so three I've picked out. So Digital9 Infrastructure, 60% discount on that, but it just scrapped its dividend, so that's the reason there. Hypnosis, about 50% discount on that, and then Tritax Eurobox, also about 50%. Well, thanks to Sam and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or a review and follow the show in your podcast app. And if you get a chance, tell a friend about it too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you would like to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interactive Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.